Hey guys, if you enjoy this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Taco Supremo. Hey John, I know you've been a bit tied up lately, but I was wondering if you could cover a case that has both intrigued and disturbed us Wichitans for decades. Yes, I'm referring to the BTK, Bind Them, Torture Them, Kill Them, Dennis Rader. Now, Rader's daughter recently published an autobiography in 2019, and in her tell-all, she discusses life with her father slash serial killer. Although at the time, dad, to her, was nothing more than a doting father, a proud Boy Scout leader, and a prominent member in his Lutheran church. Anyway, I love binging TM2M, especially during this crazy quarantine. And I know you'll do a fabulous job disentangling this story for us. You always do die. Love, Alicia. Wow, it's, uh, we made it through another week. We're being treated tonight. We have Western Sun spiked flavor pops, but they have a, a variety pack. Right now, we're all eating the watermelon flavor, but it also has blueberry, lemonade, a screwdriver, and um, raspberry are the other flavors in there. Well, tonight, John, you gave us a hint of tying the knot. Mm-hmm. So Nicole came up with a cocktail. I did. I did. Shall we? Uh, shall we? Cheers. What, what is this called, Nicole? Well, this is the play on the um, Bride's Blush. Blushing Bride. That was the name. Cheers, it's guys. Red. What's in it? It is champagne, grenadine, and some white claw grapefruit. Mm. Well, that's good. This is champagne like... Like wine. Like a marriage thing? What? Yeah. The hint was tie the knot. Yeah, you drink champagne at weddings, for one. You and guys, two, you... it's called the Blushing Bride. You guys obviously have a different meaning of tie the knot than I do. Well, I don't know. I think this might <laughs> Wait, be about. Wasn't there the, that thing that y- you boys were talking about, like what that tie the knot really means, where it got its name? Yeah. You have to, doesn't have to do something with your penis? Yeah. What do you have to do? Something with the wedding rings? I don't know. Something you put your penis through the knot or something. I don't know. It's what? Some... All right, Nicole. The hint <sighs> is tie the knot. So where are we going? Who are we killing? I think we're going down to Texas, and we've got a young couple, and they're getting married, but they're running from the law because they've murdered someone. Ooh. I say that it is involving some sort of bondage. Like, it may be a couple, maybe a killer couple, but like... They're freaky deaky. Yeah, they have uh, a couple of kinks, and they are into the BDSM. Those are both wrong, he says. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're idiots. <laughs> Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. It's peanut butter whiskey. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. But wait. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There's more. Peanut butter jelly time. What? Peanut what? butter whiskey with creme de cocoa. Oh. Oh, that's so it's like good. A, it's like a Reese's shot. I liked it. I do like that peanut butter whiskey. That is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Okay, Nikwees, um, our third place geography bee. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to name some celebrities, and they're all from this state. Okay. Number one, Kirstie Alley. Number two, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Amelia Earhart. Who the fuck is that? She's the first woman to fly. Oh. She's the one who disappeared. Right. She's in well, the Bermuda Triangle. Some, let's do some fun facts. Okay. The nicknames for this state include the Sunflower State, the hmm. Jayhawk State. Oh, yep. I know. Currently, a city in this state holds the world's largest ball of twine. Look at this bitch. <clears throat> this thing is huge. What is Kansas? Kansas Ding. is correct. I didn't know Harrison Ford was from Kansas. Yeah, and Don Cheadle and Morgan hmm. Freeman. No. So tonight we're going to Kansas, can of whoop ass. I'll open up an $8 billion can of whoop ass and serve it to you, and that's all I got to say about that. And like always, I want to start tonight out with... A Bible verse. A Bible verse. So tonight we're reading from the book of Matthew. Hmm. Who's Matthew, Jen? He's one of the 12 apostles, and he's one of the four gospel writers. Read this, Nequiz. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's not how you read it. Read it, Jen. A reading from the book of Matthew. There you go. <laughs> According. <laughs> That's how you read it. <laughs> I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Tonight, we're going to January 15th, 1974. It was a Tuesday. The killer I'm talking about tonight, this is his first murder, which is kind of crazy because he basically goes into a full house to do what he wants to do. This is the home right here. GoTalkMurder.com. Oh, that's a cute house. Yeah, small house. It's in the morning, and you can kind of see this is in a subdivision, so it's not out in the um, in the sticks. So it's kind of brazen that he even went here to begin with. But he gets there early, early in the morning. Now, his initial plan was to enter the home that you're seeing right now when the husband was not at home. And he's actually been stalking the wife for quite some time, for a few weeks. Hmm. And he had it all planned out. But the husband was actually home and he didn't know that. He thought he was already at work. So did the the murderer know the wife or was he just stalking her? Uh, I'm going to get to that. He didn't know her personally. But he knew her through stalking her. Okay. You know, he was he's a stalker. He watched her for a few weeks, got her routine down. So kind of like the Jamie Kloss story where, like, he saw her and, like, yeah. picked her. He goes into the backyard of this house you're seeing, and the first thing he does was cut the phone line. Now, this is going to be part of his M.O. He takes a hunting knife and cuts the phone line of each victim's house before he enters. And, in fact, future victims, mostly women— will be terrified to go back home at night alone, so much so that they would open their door, you know, unlock it, open it, run in, and immediately pick up the phone to see if there's a dial tone. And if there's no dial tone, they'll get the shit out. That's the that's how they knew if this guy was in the house or not. This sounds like a movie plot. How did you get into the house? I came through the back door, uh, cut the phone lines, uh, waited at the back door, had reservations about even going or just walking away, but pretty soon the door opened and I was in. All right, so the door opened. Was it open for you or did something? I think one of the kids, I think the uh, ju- uh, junior, or not junior, yes, the uh, the young girl, 
uh, Joseph's opened the door. He's probably let the dog out because the dog was in the house at that time. The back door opens. Now, he's sitting out there in the backyard. He is creeping up. He just cut the phone line, and he's ready to do what he's going to do. And he thinks the husband's gone, and it's only the wife and the kids because he knows the kids are there, but he doesn't really care. The dog starts barking. The dog's name is Lucky. He begins to bark. Bark, 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 bark. And then the back door opens, and a little boy is staring at him straight in the face. This guy is, like, in shell-shocked. I mean, this is his first time killing, and there's a little boy just, like, staring at him. Mm. Okay, so immediately, he pushes the boy inside the kitchen, and he pulls out a twenty-two caliber revolver. Now, the dog is in the kitchen as well, and the husband walks in. He thinks that the husband has already went to work, so that surprises him right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And this is his first time, remember, so there's a lot of mess-ups he's doing. Right. Beforehand, did you know who was there in the house? I thought Mrs. Otero and the two kids, the uh, two younger kids were in the house. I didn't realize Mr. Otero was going to be there. Immediately, he says, quote, there's a stick up. Hmm. He basically says, I'm just going to rob you guys, you know, because I want it in a few states. I'm just going to rob you guys. I'm going to take your car and then you are going to be free. No, I'm not going to hurt any of you. Now, the husband, he is a boxer, oh, okay. so he could actually, you know, take care of this guy, but he was recently in a car accident, and he had a broken rib. Oh. Ooh. So he's not going to be fighting anyone. All right. After you tied them up, what occurred? Well, uh, they started complaining about uh, being tied up, and I re-loosened re the bonds a couple of times, uh, tried to make Mr. Otero as comfortable as I could. Uh, currently had a cracked rib from a car accident. So I had him put a pillow down for his head. Uh, had he put a uh, parker or a coat underneath him. Uh, they, uh, you know, they talked to me about, uh, uh, you know, giving the car and whatever money. I guess they didn't have very much money. And uh, the, there I realized that, uh, you know, I was already, I didn't have a mask on or anything. They already could ID me. And... Uh, Made a, made a decision to go ahead and, and put him down, I guess, or strangle I'm going to leave it right there for now because that was in the a.m. So now we're going later in the day between 3 and 4 p.m. Wow, he's been there for 12 hours? No, 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 he's gone. Oh. I'm, I'm going to show you what the rest mm -hmm. of the family walks in okay. and sees. Okay. Carmen and Danny Otero. This is the Otero family, uh -huh. like I said. Okay. They're one of many children. They're the oldest, but they arrive home from junior high. They're walking back home. It's 3.30. They just got let out of school. Some strange things they noticed. Number one, the garage door was up, which is never up, mm -hmm. unless it's ours and it's completely broken, and we keep it up because it doesn't close. I'm surprised we <laughs> haven't had a barber sighting during this time. Well, we've keep been keeping it close. It's oh, closed yeah. right now, right? Not only the garage door that was up, but the station wagon, the family car, was gone. Lucky, the dog, he was in the backyard, Aww. which mom never puts him out in the backyard because he barks. And like I said, this is in a subdivision. There's neighbors. And They've got an HOA. They got an HOA. Yeah, exactly. The two kids walk inside, Carmen and Danny, and they see mom's purse scattered all over the living room floor. They also see Josie's purse, Josephine, the 11-year-old daughter, her purse is also scattered. 
So it's obvious he thinks that there was a robbery or something. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know about the parents yet. But they do walk into the parents' bedroom. And I have a bunch of pictures here. And you go to talkmore.com. I'm putting all these pictures on here. So the kids walk in and see their mother laying on the bed. You see her right there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now she's tied up, as you're about to see. And if you want to read this, I'm going to tell you what book we're reading from in a minute. But if you want to go ahead and read this now. There were so many ligature marks on the throats of the other Oteros. It looked as though the killer had strangled them more than once, letting them have some air, then finishing them. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. Yeah. that's. I feel like that's worse than just letting someone die by strangulation. It's like, I'm going to strangle you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, just kidding. Like, I'm going to let you live. And it's like, just kidding. Again. The father, Jose, 38 years old, the wife who you just saw on the bed, 35 years old. This is another picture of her right here. These are the actual crime scene photos. So she's just laying on the bed. and Face up. Face up, yeah. She's been strangled. Was she also tied up there in the yes, bedroom? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, both her hands and their feet were tied up. She was on the bed. No. This yeah. is the father you're looking at right now. His name is Jose. Do you see his face, how beaten it is? Yeah, Yeah. he's like purple. So remember, yeah, he's like... All right, what did you do to Joseph Otero? Joseph Otero? Yeah, Joseph Otero Sr., Mr. Otero, the father. I put a plastic bag over his head and then some cords and tighten it. This was in the bedroom? Yes, sir. Did he, in fact, uh, suffocate and die as a result of this? Not right away. No, sir, he didn't. What happened? Uh, well, after that, I uh, I did Mrs. Otero. Uh, I had never strangled anyone before. His eyes are like swollen shut. Remember, this killer who I'm talking about tonight led the family to believe that they were going to be completely fine. And then he did something so deranged, suffocate the mother mm-hmm. until she was about to die and then release, let her come back to life and then do it again. So obviously... He had this whole thing planned and he was going to do this all the time alone. So he's basically disarming the the victims. Getting them to, to do whatever they exactly, he asks because exactly. I think they've got a chance to live. Exactly. Hmm. Um, sir, let me ask you about Joseph Otero Sr. You indicated he had torn a hole in the bag. Mm-hmm. What did you do with him then? I put another bag over it or either that or a, I recollect, I think I put a... Uh, Either a cloth or a T-shirt or something over it, over his head, and then a bag, another bag. Did, and then he, sub- did he subsequently die? Well, yes. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I didn't just stay there and watch him. Then I was moving around the room. But now the police arrive at the house after the two other kids run to the neighbors and call the police. Carmen and Danny Otero beg the police not to let Josie and Joey come home. Because they don't want them to see the parents like this. Joseph, or Joey, is eight years old and Josephine is 11. These kids are begging the police. The police go in there and do a full search. They had no idea that their younger brother and sister were already inside the house. If you want to read this. He found the switch and saw a dead girl nearly naked, hanging by a rough hemp noose from a sewer pipe. Her dark hair was draped across one cheek. Her tongue protruded past a gag. Mm. 
The autopsy showed that Josie had weighed 115 pounds and that she died in a hangman's noose with her hands tied behind her back. She was bound at the ankles and knees with a cord that snaked up to her waist. The killer had cut her bra in the front and pulled her cotton panties down to her ankles. The lab people had scraped dried fluid from her thigh. So you see she's tied at the ankles. She has she's, no pants on. She has no pants on. You see, I don't know if there's... Could uh, be a tan line. I think there's. I think she has a tan line there. And she's tied to the pole. This is in the basement, the, the dark basement. Now, the ah. other two kids didn't even know that they were down there. Okay. Ugh. And then when I went back, uh, Josephine had woke back up. What did you do then? And I took her to the basement and eventually uh, hung her. All right, you hung her in the basement? Yes, sir. All right, did you do anything else at that time? Yes, I, uh, I had some sexual fantasies. Hmm. But that was uh, after she was hung. Oh. Hmm. All right. Uh-uh. Hey, he won't. He just says what he had fantasies. Then? Yeah. Mm, went through the house, uh, kind of cleaned it up. Uh, it's called the right-hand rule. You go from room to room. Uh, picked her with hmm. things up. I think I took uh, Mr. Otero's watch. He started wearing that watch uh, around town, and he was thinking about giving the pearl necklace of the, the mom to his wife, but Ooh. he didn't. Now, this is a little bit about Josie, the victim here, from the book. Her name was Josie Otero. She was 11 years old and wore glasses and wrote poetry and drew pictures and worried about her looks. She had started wearing a bra and growing her hair out. It fell so thick around her head and throat that the man with the gun would soon have a hard time tying the cloth to keep the gag stuffed in her mouth. The killer uses a variety of knots, and that's the first thing detectives notice, is the different knots that are used because there's a lot just in this one murder. So you'd have to think this guy military is military or something. For instance, Boy Scouts, he uses a clove hitch, a half hitch, slip knots, square knots, overhand knots and something called a blood knot. Now, I don't know about these knots, but I know that they're all different and you got to kind of be an expert to know how to do all these. So there are four. There's four dead people in the house. And I'm going to get to the son here in a second. Mm. But some of the victims in the house were taped and not bound with rope. Interesting. So the police ask, you know, had this killer ran out of rope? But, and I'm going to get to later in the MO, the reason he did that, do you guys want to take a guess why he would tie the hands with tape? Um, so that um, they might think that there was a second person involved who couldn't tie knots? I didn't think about that. It's pretty interesting. Quicker? Yeah, so it's basically he would tie the the knots eventually to make them secure, but it's basically real quick just to get them secured because he's going into a house with four people. Yeah. Yeah, I know two of them are kids, but, you know, you you have two adults there, so you got to tie the, you know, you got to get them subdued pretty quickly. All right, so let's go back to Josie right quick. You saw her body on the pole right there. Now, this is the lower part of her feet, you can kind of see the knot use that she was tied to the pole. Yep. This is a different knot. Now, I'm not sure what the knots are, but that's her hands behind her back. So it's the significance of the knots that perhaps this person was uh, a fisherman or in the Navy or where are you going with this? A Boy Scout? I mean, I'm going to tell you what it is in a minute, but... Were they knots that only 
certain people would know. Yeah. Like, fuck, I was in the military. I don't know them damn nuts. So you say military, like all military people know it. I don't fucking know them. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying that it's a, might be, it might be a Boy Scout thing. Yeah, that's Boy know. Scouts tie knots. They have tests on which knots. There you go. They badges, get badges right? on yeah. knots. So it could be a Boy Scout. Do they get badges? I know Girl Scouts get badges. So you badges. tell me why the police didn't fucking look for Boy Scout, ex-Boy Scouts. You tell me that. I don't fucking know why they didn't. Was the killer a Boy Scout? Fuck yeah, he was. Look at that. See, was he an Eagle Scout? Those are like really fancy Boy Scouts. Those are like the top Boy Scouts. Okay, yeah. now this is a little bit about Joey. The boy had died beside his bunk bed. In the boy's room, Cornwell saw something that stayed with him for life. Chair imprints on the carpet. They looked fresh. Cornwell thought he knew what that meant. The killer, after he tied the boy's wrists, after he pulled the two shirts in a plastic bag over the boy's head, after he pulled the clothesline tight around the boy's neck, had placed a chair beside the child so he could watch him suffocate. That's pretty fucked up. The killer also has a thing for asphyxiation. I don't know. This guy's really fucked up. Well, he like let the mom, (laughs) he choked her out, let her come back, choked her out, let her come back. You would kind of get the sense that he kind of liked that. Oh, yeah. He Um, fucking loved it. Yeah. Which is crazy because he would, all the victims, you know, he says, there's just going to take a minute. I'm just here to rob you. He had a fixation on asphyxiation. This clipping right here is from the Parsons Sun in Kansas, Saturday, January 19th, 1974. Suspect sought in Otero slangs. Police Chief Floyd Hannon said the man was observed by two and possibly three witnesses prowling outside the house, and they said they thought an attempt to gain entry at the front door. The suspect was described by the police chief as between 28 and 30 years of age, between 5 foot 10 or 6 feet tall and dark complected. He was slender built man with long shoulder length brown hair and wore a long dark overcoat. Hannon said witnesses told police. I couldn't find the actual police sketch anywhere on any blog. So I had to search these old newspapers and I did find it. Ooh. And so you'll only see it at talkmore.com. Promise you that. But this is the police sketch. The artist's conception of a suspect in the murders of four members of the Jose Otero family of Wichita was released by police Friday. Chief Floyd Hannon said that the man's hair was bushier and longer than shown. Police have no suspects in the case. The sketch was based on reports of witnesses, Hannon said. So there was actually three people that witnessed this guy creeping around the yard. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that ain't even close. What that is, is the father. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because it's a Hispanic man. That's the father. That police sketch is the father. Did they just maybe assume that it was going to be a Hispanic person because of the the victims? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know I why they did that. I think that's a good, yeah, good point, Jen. The station wagon, remember the kids came home and the garage was up, but mm-hmm. the station wagon's gone. Yep. That was found at the Dillon's grocery store at Central and Oliver. The driver's seat was pushed forward a bit. What does that indicate? He's short. He's short, but he's not. Turns out this guy reads a lot of detective magazines. So he did that on purpose to throw off the cops. That must have been uncomfortable for him. No, no, no. He did did it after he parked. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? I don't know. (laughs) Listen, it's been a really, really long quarantine. My brain is not right. Detectives initially thought that this was a drug deal gone wrong. 
because I don't know, a Hispanic family, they got to be into fucking drugs, right? I mean, it's just like so racist how they thought that. It had nothing to do with drugs. Like these were hardworking people and there were no drugs or anything found in the home. So they just automatically think it's a huge drug deal, okay, <laughs> for whatever fucking reason. Um, but it's not. One newspaper said that this was done by a, quote, mentally deranged individual. You're looking at the police sketch of the killer right now. Looks like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, he does look like old Paige. Now, I'm going to show you what the killer really looks like, and you tell me if he's anywhere close to that. Now, this is him when he gets older, but see if you can see if there's a similarity. (gasps) Oh! It's not even close. Tonight, we're doing a story for our tacos primo, Alicia. She had requested this story. It's going to be a two-part story. Hey, Alicia. And um, it is on the BTK killer. Bind them, torture them, kill them. That's Hmm. from his own words. But he started signing everything as BTK. He was writing letters. That's about all I know. Yeah. Is he was he inspired by was he after the Zodiac Killer? Um, it's around the same time. I'm wondering if he was inspired by the Zodiac Killer and writing um, his writings to the news. So there's a lot of reading material tonight that we're going to get through. A lot of uh, interesting stuff. Number one, <clears throat> the book "Bind, Torture, Kill." This is from Roy Wenzel, Tim Potter, L. Kelly, and Hearst Lavinia. Half of them are journalists, mm. and I think two of them are detectives. It's a it's a really good book. But also, instead of just reading this one book and also multiple newspaper sources like I always do, I'm interspersing another book with the same story, and we're going to kind of go back and forth. This book is called... A Serial Killer's Daughter. This is by the daughter. Wow. Carrie Rawson. This is a fantastic book right here. It's interesting to read both at the same time because you have this Dennis Rader talking about how he's going to, you know, hang up women and, and do all this gruesome shit. And then you have this other book with a daughter calling her dad. Oh, dad killed this person. Dad did this. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting wow. to um, interesting perspective there. Was um, how many people did the BTK killer actually kill? Like, was he really that prolific? So he killed 10 people altogether mm-hmm. from January 15th, 1974. And he was caught in 2005. Whoa. Yeah, so yeah. he actually I think there's the first serial killer ever to Come out of retirement. Quote, come out of retirement. Hmm. He told the newspaper he's coming out of retirement as a serial killer. And (laughs) then he got caught. (laughs) Well, then he got caught years later. But, you know, it's kind of crazy. I'm very curious when we get to this point of what made him want to come out of retirement. Well, because he missed it. You'll see that this guy really, really loves what he's doing. So... Like this, this story kind of put a new perspective on serial killers for me, because if you... Oh, God. Don't frame it that way. If you read about the Ted Bundy story, he's also a serial killer, but his mindset is completely different. It's it's not like he really wants to. I mean, yeah, he does, but he's just trying to get his sexual jollies. Mm. And they're so overpowering that he, you know, he'll kill for it. BTK is like an Israel Keys where... He just wants to kill people and he Mm -hmm. gets 
satisfaction off killing people. Like he's a true serial killer. But and there's some sexual things involved. He's yeah, he but, is raping a couple of the females. But he's yeah, that, doing it because he loves the pleasure of killing rather than the the, the pleasure of like beating a woman to death or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's how I'm structuring the story. It's going to be two-parter, so let's get on with it. So were, was this particular family that we first talked about, were they the first victims? Yeah, they were the first, which is crazy because why would you, you know, pick a whole family for your first time? Now, we're going to April 4th, 1974. That is a Thursday. So when was the first murder? Do you guys remember? On a Tuesday, the 15th of January. January 15th, 1974. Now we're going to April 4th, 1974, a few months after. Now, it's interesting when I actually looked up this date, and the reason I look up the date is to see the day, and it was a Thursday. But when I did look it up, and this is not related to the story, but I thought it was kind of interesting. There was a lot of videos about the killer tornadoes. Oh. The day of the killer tornadoes, April 3rd through April 4th. Now, these things are freaking dead. Yeah, I deadly, would not man. want to live in the Midwest because of that. No. But they have a whole documentary on, on these tornadoes that killed hundreds of people or whatever. Well, but it's like a the... whole thing. It's like a day of tornadoes. I thought it was fake, like a horror movie. Look at that thing right there. Look how big that thing scary. is. Scary. So yeah, scary. so I, you know, this was during the day, the day of the killer tornadoes, and I like thought it was a movie because it looks like a movie, doesn't it? Like an old movie. Yeah, yeah. this is real. This is real footage, you know, of them documenting the killer tornadoes. Wow. You know, I guess this was the first time that they had the the news media, you know, the radio and the televisions available, and the weather forecasting available during this tornado spree because a lot of this that you see here are the weather forecasters trying to get the word out all right so after the first murder there's a few things that he did number one i don't know if you remember hearing in his court statement but he referred to his victims as projects oh i didn't hear that so from now on he's going to from now on he's going to start labeling his missions, if you will, as projects. So the project that we're going to talk about now on April 4th, 1974, is from his vernacular, Project hmm. Lights Out. Whoa. Oh. Uh, the, uh, I don't know how to exactly say that. I had many, what I call them projects. There were different people in the town that I followed, watched. Uh, Captain Bright was one of the next targets, I guess, as I would indicate. He also named his penis Sparky. No. (laughs) It's a spark plug for those lights out mission. Serious? That's really a really bad morbid joke. But Sparky it sounds like an old mechanic. Hey, take my car down to Sparky's. I think of a dog. What? Why, Did he though? refer to um, his p- penis like in court and stuff like that? So, Old Sparky here. A thing about the BTK is he's very organized and he started keeping immensely detailed journals in his home. And he labeled them BTK, bind them, torture them, kill them. And he started documenting everything. He also started to troll, which is basically stalking. If you want to read this, this is from... Um, BTK. This is from the BTK book. He was trolling every day now, spying on women, following them to work and back home, writing notes on each. 
He had to keep track. He spied on multiple projects, breaking off if one did not look safe. He peeped in windows, walked alleys, and hunted females living alone. So did he learn after the last one that he shouldn't stalk families? Yeah, so he learned a few things. Number one, no dogs. Number two, no men in the house. And no kids in the house either. This next one that you're going to see that happened April 4th, 1974, Project Lights Out, was a single female. Mm. Or that's what he thought, at least. But then the male did show up. So BTK didn't have the best of luck when he first started. All right, this is Kathy Bright right here. She's a 21-year-old. She's a college student at uh, Wichita State University. It's kind of ironic. Her name is Bright, and the project's name was Lights Out. Hmm. I wonder if that's why. BTK actually spotted her one day while he was taking his wife to dinner. She was out collecting her mail. She's a college girl living alone. No man, no children, and no dog. This is his second murder. Now, I mean, to think about the the mindset of this guy, he just did this awful, horrendous crime, killed killed a whole family almost. Right. And now he's taking his wife out to dinner— and he sees Kathy Bright, and after that, that's all we could think about is what he wants to do to her and everything else. At this point, he's 29 years old, I believe. He's also a student at Wichita State University as well, and he knew that she was Kathy Bright. So his ruse upon entering her home is going to be he's going to carry his books up to her door and ask if there's a quiet place to study. That's his ruse to get into the the apartment. So he's going to walk with her or like randomly show up at her doorstep? Randomly show up at her doorstep. Is that, is that something that happened back in the 70s? No, it's not. It's, it's really weird. I, I don't think so. I mean, hmm. maybe so. I don't know. Then again, girls were hitchhiking everywhere and getting yeah. murdered. So I don't yeah, know. true. He goes up to her door carrying the books. He's been following her for a while, a few weeks. So according to her schedule, her routine, she's home. But when he brings his books up to the door and knocks, she isn't home. No one answers Hmm. the door. He smashes the back door glass in. He gets in and he hides in the bedroom closet. Uh, On this particular day, uh, I broke into the house and waited for her to come home. How did you break into the house? Uh, Through the back door on the east side. He waits for her to come home. Now, at this point, he has both the Colt twenty-two pistol that he used in the first murder, and he's also got a three fifty-seven Magnum, which is a huge-ass gun. It's the Dirty Harry gun. Mm. I have not seen that movie. Me either. That is a huge round coming out of that. And he didn't carry the three fifty-seven Magnum on the first one, so I believe... He's carrying it because he got kind of spooked out for the first one. Because the first one, you know, the man was there and things could have gone awry quick. So. Did he ever shoot the Magnum in in a crime? No. I'm I'm wondering because I feel like that's not a very common gun no, to be just like carrying around. Like it's a big ass a gun. Let me yeah. show you this thing. It's big. Isn't that from famous from like Pulp Fiction and stuff too? But look at that bad boy. Shit. That's huge. <laughs> That's a big fucking gun. Yeah. Is that one of the you largest saw the, guns? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never saw the um the Dirty Harry movie? No. no. But that is on Netflix right really now. Lucky. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, Are right? You? Hell yeah, it's Clint Eastwood. Um, He's a that's bad not, ass motherfucker. That's mm. not the biggest gun. There's a fifty caliber. This is a beast. Whoa. Right here. Whoa. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is a gun. <laughs> Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> that if someone comes to your door and tries to bust in and you shoot them with that, the police are going to be looking for parts of the guy <laughs> like around the lawn. <laughs> That's that really the size of a bit an average fifty cal. I'm going to get the round size. Huh? Oh, 50 cal rounds huge. Yeah, no, 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 I know, cal. but like that's a little like the length of that barrel is kind of comical. I mean, it has to be that to shoot that big ass 50 cal round. I guess I just I don't know a lot about ammunition. So like when you're thinking about 50 cal versus like an RPG, well, an RPG is like RPG a missile. Is a ro- That's a missile. Rocket. What are you talking about? It's a rocket launcher. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I just told you that. I don't know. But a 357 Magnum is big as fuck too. That's what I'm saying. Like having both of those guns. Like he had a three fifty seven Magnum on but, him. That's a that's but, a huge carry. But that's what uh, kind of goes. If he ever shot it, like how many people are shooting he, that? Well, thing? he would. Everyone would have heard it. Number. All right. Let me let me tell you about this. This is crazy. So Dennis Rader. This is his second murder. He breaks the glass door and hides in the bedroom closet. Now he thinks because he planned this out that she's going to come in there alone, but she doesn't. She actually comes in there with another guy. Ooh. So he he's hiding that. in the closet, yeah. just like any comical movie with the guys hiding in the closet, you know, that you see. It's just the same thing. He's right. like literally in the closet looking out the blinds. Yeah, it's like R. Kelly, stuck mm-hmm. in the closet. Yeah, or something like that. He hears Kathy talking to someone. The person she's talking to is Kevin Bright, the brother. Oh. Now, he doesn't know that at the time. Plus, he doesn't really care. But he's kind of pissed at himself because he thought this was going to be an easy, gotcha, one person. Now he's got to deal with two. Not only that, he's in the closet and the BTK killer, he's already labeled himself the BTK killer and everything. Guess what he forgets to bring with him? His rope? His rope. (laughs) He had brought no rope. He had assumed she would be alone, easy to control. He had planned to tie her with pantyhose or whatever she had so that when the cops found her body, they would see a method different from the Otero murders. But now here he stood, Mr. Bind, Torture, and Kill, with nothing to bind them. He comes out of the closet door and confronts him with the gun. He uses the twenty-two caliber. It's a pretty small round. You know, mm-hmm. a twenty-two. you could shoot 50 cent probably 15 times with a twenty-two, and he's still okay. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know why he didn't pull out the 357. The only reason I can think of is because he didn't want anyone to hear it. Oh, and I mm-hmm. forgot to say, this is really important. While he was in the closet before Kathy or her brother came in the door, a shot from the 22 caliber actually discharged in the closet. Did he shoot himself <laughs> in the foot? He didn't shoot himself in the foot. But, I mean, this is like in an apartment building. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you yeah. can hear that shit. Plus, they could smell the gunpowder when they came in. But anyway, it's just, this kind of shows you how a serial killer kind of fumbles through his first few kills. You know, he's still working his, you know, getting better Mm -hmm. and better at it. Immediately, he goes and confronts them. Same story. He tries to disarm them. Hey, I'm just here to rob you guys. And they're like, well, why are you wearing gloves? Well, I'm wearing gloves because I don't want my prints to get everywhere because I'm wanted in a few states. You know, I'm just here to get some money. You know, probably steal your car. Everything's going to be okay. So I'm going to have to bind you up, tie you up just for a little bit. And then when I leave, you guys can call the police. Like he's really, you know, trying to relate to these people and, and they're buying it, which mm-hmm. is, this is so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as you'll see, 
here shortly, it's not that BTK has any empathy. He doesn't. I'm mm. curious what he, when we get into more of his background, what he does for a living. Yeah. So go back to the Otero murders where he's putting the pillow under the father, you know, to rest his head. Like it's, it's not that he's feeling any empathy. He's a straight fucking psychopath. He's doing that as part of his sexual thrill. Mm. He wants them to feel that they can trust him a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and then tear him down again. It's it's fucked up, man. This guy is really fucked. Anyway, first thing he does is separates the couple. He puts Kevin in one room and Kathy in the other, and he binds them both. All right. Now, you indicated that you believe you had Kevin tie Catherine up. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened then. Okay. I moved, uh, well, after, I really can't remember, Judge, whether I had her tying him up or she tied him up. But anyway, I moved, basically I moved her to another bedroom, and he was already secure there by the bed. Uh, I tied his feet to the uh, bedpost, at the bottom bedpost, so he couldn't run. Uh, kind of tied her in the other bedroom, and then I came back to strangle him. And at that time, we had a fight. Were you armed with a handgun at that time also? Yes, I had a handgun. What happened when you I came back? I actually had two handguns. Okay, now he turns on the music because from the first murder, he found out that the sounds of strangling is actually pretty loud. Hmm. And you don't want the other person to hear that and then get all freaked out and try to escape or right. something. Well, that's why the father in the last one tried to tear a hole in the bag. And tear exactly, yeah, he tried to tear a hole in the bag. Kevin actually gets out of his ropes. So Mr. Bind, Torture, Kill can't even bind him right, apparently. Hmm. He gets out and he charges after BTK. And he's he's going to take him out. As soon as he gets like a few feet from tackling BTK, BTK pulls out that twenty two and shoots him right in the face. Boom. Whoa. And now he's down. Blood's shooting from his face and his head area. Now, he's down. Uh, well... I started strangling. The, either the parent uh, broke or he broke his bonds and he jumped up real quick like. I pulled my gun and quickly shot him. It hit him in the head. He fell over. Uh, I could see the blood. And as far as I concerned, you know, I thought he was down and uh, was out. And then went and uh, started to strangle uh, Catherine. If you think about what's going through BTK's mind right now, it's a frantic situation. He's trying to control all this stuff. He's got this whole mission plan where he wants to do all this sexual stuff. He wants to hang her and, you know, masturbate on her and spend time with her. Now it's in a frantic mess. He can't do all that. Now he's just worried about getting caught. Yeah, right. You know, so he shoots Kevin, the brother. He runs back to Kathy. Kathy's like, what'd you do to my brother? And that's the first time he found out that that was his brother. You know, what'd you do to my brother? Because she heard the gunshot. Mm -hmm. He goes back into Kevin's room after he shuts Kathy up, chokes a little bit. She passes out, goes back into Kevin's room to make sure he was dead. He tries to kick him. And this is from the book. Kevin leaped up, charged again, broke the bindings on his wrists and grabbed at the gun. For a few moments, Raider thought he would die right there. Kevin got his hand on the trigger and tried to pull it. They fought, grunting and straining, until Raider broke free and shot Kevin in the face, dropping him again. Raider ran back to the woman. She was thrashing like a snared bird. He picked up a piece of cloth, looped it around her throat, and began to pull. She broke free from the chair. 
He wished he had brought his own rope. Well, he's not very good at killing people. And he jumped up and we fought. And, uh, and he about at that time about shot me because he got the other uh, pistol that was in my shoulder here. I had my magnum in my shoulder. So, and really I... Hmm? Did you have it in the shoulder holster? Yes, and I had the magnum in the shoulder holster. The other one was a twenty-two. And we fought at that point in time, and uh, I thought it was going to go off. I jammed the gun, stuck my finger in, the, in there, jammed it. And uh, I think he thought that was the only gun I had because once I either bit his finger or hit him or something got away, and I used the twenty-two and shot him one more time. And I thought he was down for good that time. So Kevin actually survives. Kathy does not. Mm. But you can see his bullet shot wounds Ooh. right here. Once right there Woo. and then once through the head. It didn't go straight in the center. It basically scalped him, but you can kind of see the exit wound. And then he got shot here. Wow. He survived. He's lucky. Kathy did not. She actually died after four hours. Mm. But let me go back to her. He takes out his buck knife and basically starts stabbing her. He stabs her 11 times. All right, so you shot him a second time. Yes, sir. What happened then? Uh, went back to uh, uh, finish the job on Catherine. And uh, she was fighting, uh, and at, at that point in time, I've been fighting her. And I just, and then I heard some. I don't know whether I uh, was loose, basically losing control. The uh, strangulation wasn't working on her, and I uh, used a knife on her. You say you used a knife on yes. her. Yes. What did you do with the knife? I stabbed her. I just used that. Either stabbed two or three times, uh, either here or here. Maybe two back here and one here, or maybe just two times back here. You were pointing to your lower back and your, your... Yeah, underneath the ribs. And your lower abdomen. Yeah, underneath the ribs. Up, up under the ribs. So after you stabbed her, what happened? Uh, actually, I think at that point in time, well, it was a total mess. Because I didn't have control on it. Uh, she was bleeding. Uh, she went down. And he actually quotes himself as stabbing her, quote, like a hellcat. Ooh. He stabs her in the back, turns her over, stabs her in the gut. He actually tells himself, because he reads all his detective magazines, he's like, she's supposed to be dead now. This isn't like a normal human body. Like, what's going on? So he just keeps stabbing her. Hmm. How many times does he... He he stabbed her a total of 11 times. This is her wounds right here. I'm putting, you know, all the pictures on talkmar.com. Stab wounds to Hmm. Catherine back. Stab wounds to Catherine's torso. So you can see one, two, three, four, five. And stab wounds to the front torso. It looks like he like tore her at one point. That's a long cut. So those are the autopsy photos. So he doesn't get to play out his sexual fantasies on this one. This is another botched Mm. one, you know. And this one's really botched. He actually leaves right after that because Kevin somehow gets up and runs out the front door. So he's almost, he almost got caught. So, but he did get away. I think I just went back to check on Kevin or at that basically same time I heard him escape. It could be one of the two. But all of a sudden the front door of the house was open and he was gone. And, uh, or, oh, I'll tell you what I thought. I thought the police were coming at that time. I heard the door open. I thought, no, that's it. And I stepped out there and he, I could see him running down the street. So I quickly cleaned up everything that I could and. Now, this is the first time we're hearing from the daughter, Carrie, the daughter of BTK. So I'm going to intersperse these throughout the rest of the story. 
In April 1974, after murdering Catherine Bright and almost killing her brother Kevin, Dad hid his bloody clothes and murder weapons in my grandparents' white tool shed and chicken coop. He disposed of them later. I played hide-and-seek with my cousins in that shed ten years later. Ooh. Look at that passage again. It's so strange. Yeah, like, it's so strange because he's like, Dad hid them. Yeah. And, like, this guy's a monster. It's weird reading both books in tandem because when I read about a murder that, you know, happened— Yeah. And all the gruesome crime scenes. And then I read her retelling of it. It's like, oh, dad did this. It's interesting because it's not just it's not just like my father did this. It's like dad. It's more of an intimate term. You know? Yeah. When he was a child, he tortured animals. Hmm. I didn't find he wetted the bed or started fires, but he did Hmm. torture animals. At the time he's killing all these females, he's married and very, very happily married. Hmm. I need to point out this is from. Can't be that happily married. No, he is. Well, because he's taking, he's projecting his aggression onto other people. This is from BTK's daughter. As the carpenters harmonized, we've only just begun. Dad would pull mom close and she'd laugh and they would spin together for a minute or two in the living room, lost remembering the good times spun early around their song. As a toddler, I'd twirl and clap and wait my turn. When dad and I danced to close to you with my little feet on top of his white socks i was certain my dad's love for me knew no bounds so you can see how crazy it is i mean i don't know do you think she just like didn't not that she didn't want to see the signs no there there was no signs because zero signs from I an mean, outsider zero signs because as you'll see this guy was pretty high ranking in his Lutheran church as well. <laughs> you know, he was a family man. Mm. Yeah. But he was a Boy Scout leader and everything mm. else. So he's not a serial killer. He's Dennis Rader, you know, mm. the um, the ADT alarm system technician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, he was. Yeah. Now, this is the home that they grew up in. And this home is no longer there. According to Kansas.com, this house was demolished in March of 2007. Related to him living there or just it was planned? Yeah, no one wanted. And no one would want to buy it. No one. No one wanted to buy it. It was valued at fifty six thousand dollars. Now, this is the family. As I said, BTK really loved his wife, Paula. Like, what's going on with Paula these days? How did she oh. handle this whole thing? Oh, they're divorced, like, well, instantly? Yeah, but... <laughs> I mean, you don't did want to she, stay married she, to that guy. She didn't see it coming, though. She no, saw, didn't see it was, coming at all. No one saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming until 2005 when he gets arrested. That's when they saw it coming. I, I, don't I know, personally maybe. think they should have figured it out because, dude, you got all the knots, you know, and he's... I don't know. Even anyway. with me, I mean, knowing a bo- like all the the knots that you mentioned, who, that's a very specialized thing. His military career. He joined the summer of 1966. Now he enlisted before he was actually drafted. I believe this was so he can avoid going to Vietnam. He did enlist in the Air Force as a communication linesman, and he was sent to Greece, Turkey, South Korea, and Okinawa. Isn't that where your sister's from? Japan. Um. Are living Iwakuni. Iwakuni. But he did serve four years in the Air Force. After he got out of the Air Force, he worked for Cessna. You know Cessna airplanes? Mm -hmm. I used to jump out of them things all the time. And he was an aircraft mechanic. He was very smart. He's an engineer. He's extremely intelligent. His wife actually worked at our favorite place, 
the VA. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is our favorite place. Or the VD, as we call it, Veterans Despairs. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. In 1973, when did I say the murders happened? 1974. 1974 is when the murders happened. 1973, he was laid off from Cessna as an aircraft mechanic. And that could have been the catalyst. It could have all went downhill from there. He was also a student because he got out of the Air Force using the GI Bill. He goes to Wichita State University. He pursues a bachelor's in administration of justice. Mm. He's getting a criminal justice degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you see the irony here? Yeah. Uh, uh, but don't you think he he did it? He did it so that he could learn the ins and outs of the law and like I, I think more he did educational it. for the other side. I Yeah, I think he has an interest in law enforcement, but I believe he did it just as another fuck you for the, you know, the police that can't catch him anyway. Yeah, I think I think he did it so that they would have a harder time catching him. Yeah. I think also too going back to your point about like boy scouts and being having a specialized skill of tying the knots. I think during the time when he was growing up probably the 50s or you know late 40s 50s, right? Late 50s 60s, that's something that's way more common than it than it's back then than it is now. Like you don't see people yeah. join the boy scouts as much now because of all the scandals and everything. But I feel like back then it was something that a lot of kids did. Maybe, but that's still a pretty solid start. I don't disagree. I'm just trying to think in the mind of like why they wouldn't have gone that route. Yeah. Very possible. After the Otero murders, dad started classes at Wichita State University, pursuing a bachelor's degree in administration of justice. Studying law enforcement, dad kept his own ironic nefarious agenda hidden. Attending college became a cover story for dad at times. He'd tell mom he was headed to the campus library to study while he was actually out trolling for victims. This from KSN News I found on YouTube from 2005. It's uh, they're an NBC affiliate. An alumni book shows Raider graduated WSU in the late 70s. Police linked a BTK letter to a school copy machine. And the brother of victim Catherine Bright reports BTK asked him if he'd seen him around campus. So if studying criminal justice isn't ironic enough, he joins ADT. Remember, he got fired from Cessna. Mm-hmm. So he joins ADT Alarm. Mm. They're still around. I'm pretty yes, sure. Yeah. They are. So he joins ADT, installing home security systems. Now, what's crazy about this is because at this time, everyone's worried about this phantom killer. Mm-hmm. Now, now, they haven't heard the name BTK yet because he hasn't sent the letter I'm about to tell you about. Mm. But... All the females are worried that they're going to be next. Right. They know to check their phone as soon as they get in because it's always the phone cord that's cut. Right. And to install a security system. And to install a security (laughs) system. (laughs) And guess who's going to come install it for you? (laughs) Mr. Dennis Rader. Exactly. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, I mean. fucked up. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. The whole city was getting alarm systems from ADT. BTK liked that. He liked the irony behind that as my father studied justice and worked in security he stole those very things from the otero and bright families he also grew overprotective of his own family dad's self-induced twisted insanity of co- of over caution and suspicion permeated my home for the next decades we never had a security system but we did have adt stickers on the doors and a thin metallic tape outlining our back door's window which Dad had told me was enough to fool the bad guys. 
After his arrest, Dad said about this time, I became overly defensive. I watched the road outside and had a loaded gun ready. I made sure our locked windows were secure, probably like everyone else in Wichita. He didn't have an alarm system because he was the bad guy. Right. <laughs> Who's going to break into a serial killer's home? In July of 1975, his son Brian was born, and Carrie, who we're reading the book from, she was born June 1978. Another ironic thing is he later becomes a compliance officer, which is basically like a town dog catcher slash, oh, my God, you need to cut your grass more slash. Get like this, neighborhood watch. Yeah, neighborhood of- watch slash dog catcher. That's what a compliance officer is. I don't oh. know if we have them anymore. No, oh, it's called the HOA. Yeah. <laughs> so he went around Wichita and did that. Yeah. And he could write tickets, and I, I don't think he had a gun, but here's a, a interview from him. Now, this is way before they, they knew that he was the BTK killer. He'd harass you over your grass being over, what, six inches tall or something like that? But Raider also handled animal control. You're about to see a KSN interview shot with Dennis Raider on animal attacks in Park City. We've been tracking it down. The dogs are somewhat territorial as well as vicious. And we've been trying to round them up and corral them as best we can, working with the reporting parties of where the sheep were killed. Business Paul run- Blart. Now, remember, he also used to torture animals. Right. right. So, so that's ironic that he ended up being animal control. Yeah. And so I'm kind of. Also, animals know, like, animals can sense good and mm-hmm. bad people. So, of course, they're not going to like him. Now, go to talkmore.com because this is a very interesting video I found randomly. The title is Home Movie of Dennis Rader, BTK Serial Killer. It's by Just Reboot 2. Taken from my dining room by my mom, he was the Park City, Kansas compliant officer. We had problems with the neighbor's dogs, so she decided to record it. You can see his face at one point. I like how the dog tries to bite him at one point. So this is him. The video doesn't have any sound, but you can see him coming in the frame right there, Mm -hmm. and the dog actually tries to bite him. And it's just a little home video. It's it's one of these gems, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's so glad this person uploaded it. It's just so random. ADT installer, compliance officer, Hmm. huge in the church, wife, loving wife, Mm -hmm. two kids. Like, he's the family man. It's important to know, at the time, behavioral analysis was getting more and more popular. In fact, some of those guys that created it, like Robert Ressler, he actually profiled Dennis Rader. Really? Like before he knew he was Dennis Rader. But one of the things about a serial killer that the FBI says is that they escalate as far as time periods. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dennis Rader didn't fit that. Right. Okay. He would kill once or twice a year and then wait six years. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't escalate. What I'm trying to say is he didn't fit that role as the quote unquote serial killer. So the detectives had a hard time labeling him as a serial killer. Mm. Is he more of a spree killer? What I'm trying to say is they were reluctant to come out to the press that there's a serial killer Mm. in Wichita. Right. Because when they do that, well, yeah, when they do that, there's panic. So they were reluctant to do that because he didn't really fit the typical serial killer from what the FBI and the Behavioral Analysis Unit dictates a serial killer would be like. Right. 
And that's really important to, to know. Now, a few months after the Otero murders, he actually calls a journalist. His name is Don Granger. He works at the Wichita Eagle. And a little bit about the Wichita Eagle is they're the ones that really helped push this case forward. They're the ones that got the communication from BTK and published it and, and worked with the police and everything else. So a journalist, Don Granger, gets a phone call and it goes like this. Listen, and listen good. I'm only going to say this once. There's a letter about the Otero case in a book in the public library. Click. Oh, this is really interesting. This goes back to what I was talking about, a serial killer. Like, unlike Ted Bundy is just trying to get his sexual jollies off mm -hmm. randomly. As this guy is actually trying to make a persona. Mm -hmm. You know, he's trying to make this famous, th this famous, this you know, phantasm, if you mm -hmm. will, or whatever, the specter, you know, of serial killer. So he's very meticulous when he's doing this. I mean, he literally goes to a library, a public library, puts a letter in the library in a random book. And you guys want to guess what book that was from? Um, Julius Caesar? No, it wasn't. But it was also another good hint about who the BTK was, which... I don't know. I feel like they should have really latched onto this, but I didn't see anywhere where they investigated the actual book name itself. The book is the Applied Engineering Mechanics. Mm. Now he was an That's aircraft mechanic. That's another clue. Yeah. So I, it's not random. I, it's not random. How did and they find near I, the book? And here's the thing: he does this on purpose because he likes to kind of play with the cops. Yeah, he's like, fucking he is with like, everyone. He is the Hannibal Lecter. You know, mm. he's actually trying to form this persona of a serial killer, which it, it completely twisted my mind on what a serial killer is, but because it, this is the actual defined term of it. Like he's trying to be a serial killer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? He's yeah. awfully clumsy. And it's not like it's not like Gary Ridgway killing prostitutes where he's just, you know, doing that because he wants to. Like this guy's trying to yeah. fit this persona of a serial right. killer. Does that right, make right. sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. He is trying to do what he thinks the serial killer is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think we've done a case like that. I mean, the only one no. I can think of is Israel Keys, mm. but he wasn't really trying to form that persona. Well, he just wanted to kill too. Uh, yeah, trying, he just like, didn't want to get caught. The only yeah. other killer that I can think of that like would be like Zodiac or something. Yeah. But I haven't done his case. So I don't know much about him. To me, I wonder if like it's when he writes to the media and stuff. It's it's a subconscious thing for him to get caught. Like maybe he actually no wants uh, to, and why he comes out of retirement later. No, but a lot of the um, pretty much every murder, he says he was waiting to get arrested. Mm -hmm. Like he knew, he knew the risk. And after the first murder, he was just he was reading the newspaper every day. Like they knew that he was reading the paper. They knew they was watching TV about him. And he said that he was just waiting to get arrested, but he never did. Mm -hmm. You know, and I do feel like they should have put some more things together, man. I, I don't feel like the cops did a very good job. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I, f I feel like they didn't run down all the leads like the book and the, the knots. I mean, no one knows how to tie fucking knots besides Boy Scouts, man. I, I've spent 10 years in the military. I can barely and tie he, a I can barely tie my shoes. But he was also <laughs> military, so. Like, I can barely tie my shoes. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And like he has 17 different knots at the crime scene. I mean, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. Anyway, go ahead and read this. This is about the letter. Now, this is from the Great Bend Tribune, another uh, Kansas paper. As you see, I'm using all Kansas sources here. Mm. Thursday, December 12th, 1974. Cites monster as real killer. A monster in his brain forced the author of a letter to kill four members of the Joseph Otero family here. The writer said in the communique mailed two months ago to Wichita police. In a news conference Wednesday, police chief Floyd Hannon denounced the release of the letter by a Wichita newspaper, but he said that the author was either responsible for the killings nearly 11 months ago or had intimate knowledge of the deed. The writer of the letter would have had to be inside the house when the crime was committed or participated in the crime, Hannon said. We feel this man has intimate knowledge of the Otero thing. Otero, 38, his wife, Julie, 34, their daughter, Josephine, 11, and their son, Joseph Jr., 9, were found murdered by a strangulation in their home on January 16th by two other Otero children returning from school. The writer signaled that the letter with only the initials BTK. He said he was afraid to seek help because of possible ridicule. I think we've taken one hell of a risk with the release of the letter, Hannon said. He might have to go out and commit this offense again to prove he committed this Otero offense. He is a sick man who needs help, Hannon said. He should surrender to the authorities. We'll get to this in part two. But another really interesting thing about this case is they tried to bait him through the newspapers by saying stuff like, we know you need help, you know, come in and we'll help you. And what's really interesting, we'll get to in part two, is they actually use subliminal messaging on TV to try to get him to come in. Really? And it is really hmm. interesting. They, they've they never done that, but you can see how desperate they are. And I'll show you the actual. Oh my gosh, it was I can't a, wait to It see was this. like a press conference and a little blip. You can't even see it unless you stop the video and then you can see it and- it's crazy. But anyway, mm. let's talk about the letter real quick. That's crazy. Um, the letter that was found inside the Applied Engineering Mechanics. Let's let's read this if you guys don't mind. Now, I want to say he purposely misspelled things to try to throw the police off. It's not like he's dumb. He just, you know, misspelled it. Another mistake that he made was when they did chase down the paper and where the paper was come from where the paper came from, even though he cut off the edges or, or whatever, the, the edges of the paper, mm-hmm. they finally found the typewriter that the letters were coming from. Mm, wow. And they were coming from the library inside the Wichita State University. So hmm. who the fuck's going to be there? Only a student. Only a student, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a huge thing. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I believe they ran down... It's like a thousand different types of typewriters. And they finally found the one because they all use different little mm-hmm. letter scripts or whatever. Yeah. You know? and, and they're all very different. It's kind of like a bullet coming out. Like it has a signature. But anyway, this is the letter. We'll read this. This is first communication with the press. I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time. Those three dudes you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put it straight. Okay, so what he's talking about now is there were three inmates at the prison 
that said they had knowledge on the Otero murders and they were basically making shit up. Mm. And this is the thing that really sparked BTK because like you saw earlier when he was talking to the judge, how angry he got with the details. Yep. Like he wants his story exactly like he wants it. And how dare someone else exactly. take credit for How it. dare someone mm-hmm. else come out and try to mess with the details, which kind of pushed him to write this letter in the first place. Mm. So when he says there, let's put it straight, then the letter goes on to accurately describe the positions of the body, something only police would know and has never released to the media. For instance, Josephine position hanging by the neck in the northwest mm. part of the basement, dryer or freezer north of her body, bondage, hand tie with bind cord, feet and lower knees, upper knees and waist with clothesline cord, all one length. All I mean, these are details that the, the newspaper would never have. Right. So then he continues his letter with this. I'm sorry this happened to the society. There are the ones who suffer the most. They are the ones who suffer the most. It hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up. Or this monster enter my brain, I will never know. But it here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it, so the monster goes on and hurt me all and hurt me as wall as society. Society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at a time by daydreams of some victim being torture and being mine. It a big complicated game, my friend, of the monster play, putting victims number down, follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He already has chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know, but it too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guiltily. So the reason Nicole messed up some of the words like that is because that's how he he actually wrote the letter. So I'll put that on Talk Murder, the whole letter. But you can see that he's purposely doing that. Mm. He's doing so it very in, in like very strange manner. Yeah, because like, remember he's a BA in a freaking it, mechanics. It, it, but he's know? he's not like if you really he's it's like caveman <sighs> talk. But he's. He's using complicated words, sexual perversion, yeah, psychotic. Yeah. But then he's misspelling yet, like, just the yet, random well, shit. It a big complicated. Like, no, you know it's a... Yeah. You don't have to have the apostrophe, yeah. right? Yeah, he's yeah. doing but that on he's, purpose, yeah. But he's picking very strange words to get wrong. Yeah. So it's it's almost like it's very obvious that he it's is It's like he's playing a game. Yeah. And I think he is playing a game. P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. B.T.K. You see, he added again. They will be on the next victim. Uh. Now, what do you notice about that? What person at that time in the 70s is going to use the word M.O.? That right there shows you that he has to have some yep. knowledge, yep. a.k.a. he reads a lot of detective magazines mm-hmm. and everything else. Or they're else. like obsessed with Talk Murder to me. Yeah, or he listens to Talk Murder to me podcast. But that's another clue that he's mm-hmm. got to be law enforcement or some 
or at least a you know gotta be knowledgeable yeah. yeah so i'm gonna stop there mm-hmm. for tonight i think that's good enough for tonight and then tomorrow we're gonna finish up we got a lot more to do so and uh what do you guys think about that first episode it was great you see he added again I feel like he say he talk like I talk to old hibs. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our Slipknot, go talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talkos Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shadows. Shadows. Shout out. Shouted. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it dedicated to you on Talk Murder Me Podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. Until next time. Good night, you lovely, lovely people. CPS took her baby. <laughs> they took her baby. CPS took her baby. So oh, this boy. is a Hispanic man, and this is the BTK killer. Yes. Ah. Dennis Rayner. Dennis who? Raider? Rayner. Dennis Radner? Dennis yeah, Raider. Yeah, Radish. Dennis Ra- Radish. No. No. <laughs>